Well, good morning. Great to see you, those of you who are here in the room, and great to have those who are online joining us in worship this morning. You know, life has its times when um, tears are a part of our journey. And as long as we live in this broken, uh, kind of fragmented and sinful world, there are going to be tears. God wired us so those express our emotions. Sometimes there are tears of joy, but more uh, more often than not, we think of tears, we think of the sadness and sorrow. This last Tuesday, our nation was again gripped with sorrow in the shooting that occurred in Atlanta, and eight people were killed. And I know that the Asian American community has felt that deeply. I hope that uh, you would join me and just, we need to be praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ and the Asian American community as they felt the weight of that. And we know as a nation, we have come through many experiences together, even this last year in terms of brokenness and pain and tears. And many of you have gone through things in this last year that have included sorrow and heaviness and heartache, maybe the loss of someone dear to you to COVID. Maybe there's been a, a, a difficulty or a struggle in your family, a, a strain to your marriage or other relationships in your home. Maybe it's a financial situation, your business. We know that we all go through the ups and downs of life, and at times, tears are a part of that journey. In the ancient world, in some of the literature and poetry and even letters of communication, they speak of catching tears in a bottle. As a matter of fact, um, there is some evidence through writings and literature of the ancient world that they would take bottles that had been purposed for perfume or oil and would use them as empty bottles and catch their tears and put them in those bottles. And sometimes they would take the bottles of mourners and put them in the graves with those who had died to express the heartache of those human beings who suffered that personal loss. Uh, in the ancient world, like Rome, some of the stories are told from that era. And uh, so there's, there's a bottle that has been discovered that some believe to be one of those, as they call them, tear catchers or tear bottles. Then in the Victorian era, some of these perfume and oil bottles that were then used as tear catchers become, became quite ornate and beautiful and, and distinct And then even in our own American Civil War, there are stories of wives of soldiers who fought in the war catching their tears as their husbands were off at war, lonely at home, fearful of what's going to happen to their husband. They would capture those tears and put them in a bottle. And when their their husbands returned, they would show them the, the heartache of their being gone through those bottles captured in tears. Now, there are archaeologists and historians who debate back and forth whether Bottles were used that way, and because there was perfume and oil in them, they haven't been able to you know, test and see that there are actually tears in some of these, uh, these tear catchers, as they're called. But even today, you can buy tear catchers on Amazon and other places online. Uh, the psalmist in Psalm 58, 6 says to the Lord, you know and count all my sorrows, and you collect my tears in a bottle. If you think about the tears you've shed in the last year, maybe the last couple of weeks, maybe it's something that has rocked our whole nation, as I mentioned, that shooting even. Maybe it's something that has been deeply personal for you. Maybe it's something that you've shed tears over for for many years, many decades. Maybe it's just there's been this piling on in recent days and months and maybe recent years of a heaviness of one uh, way of suffering and another way of suffering, another way of suffering. You know those tears. 
Today, as we look into the book of James again, we're going to be talking about when life seems unbearable, when the tears are flowing, you just don't think you can go on. If you want to open your Bibles to go on a mobile device to James chapter 5, we're going to again look into this wonderful New Testament book. We'll finish the series next weekend. But this is a book that talks about how faith works. James, the half-brother of Jesus, who served as the first pastor of the first church in Jerusalem, is writing to Christians in the Roman world. He's got a special attention to those who come out of Jerusalem through persecution and fled and gone throughout the Roman Empire. And so he's speaking to Messianic believers as he writes and has a, a bit of a tone that they understand some of the things of the Old Testament, even as we'll see in this passage. Whether you have been overwhelmed by life circumstances, you felt some persecution for your faith, you felt oppressed in one way or another, Whatever has caused life at times to seem unbearable to you, I believe that James, in these few verses we're going to look at today, is going to help us understand how we deal with suffering and hardship in this life. If you remember, this is how he started the book, right? If you go back to James chapter 1, and Pastor Brian Howard taught on these themes in that first chapter of the book. Go back to James chapter 1, verses Two uh, through four, James said early in the book, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And then verse four, he says, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. He started the book by talking about how we can have joy in the midst of our difficult circumstances, how God is building character in us through the ups and downs and the twists and turns of life. And then in verse 12 in that first chapter, he said, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person received the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. There is this future hope we have when we're with Jesus that helps us deal with the trials and the suffering. And we'll see that he picks up, as, as this book is coming to conclusion, he picks up those themes again. Now, if you remember, last week we looked at the section just prior to this, the first six verses of chapter five, where he addressed those who are rich and warn them about the inherent dangers of wealth and influence. Now he turns and his focus is on those who feel oppressed and persecuted and overwhelmed by life. And he deals with how we cope, how we go through the struggles and the hardships as the followers of Jesus Christ. How does our faith work in times of suffering? And we'll see together uh, this morning, that when life seems unbearable, God offers his children peace today and hope for tomorrow as they endure suffering. Some of us think we can only have peace and we can only have hope if the suffering is gone. But God wants to walk with us through the suffering and give us peace in the midst of the storm and give us joy even in the hardship. He wants us to have hope for what comes on the horizon. And so we're going to look into this wonderful book and understand that there are a couple of questions we ask ourselves when we're going through suffering. And he deals with the first one of these questions in verses 7 through 10. He kind of gives the answer to the question, how long, O Lord? Maybe some of you have been going through something in your family or a health crisis or something of your finances that have just, it's just gone on and on and on. It seems like it's, it's gone on forever and you just cry out in your pain and in your tears, how long, oh Lord? And James is gonna address that. 
He's going to address that as he talks about the length of suffering in verses 7 through 10. The length of suffering and how we need patience over time. This has to do with the waiting. In verses 7 through 10, we'll see that four times he's going to use the term patient or patiently. In the original Greek, this word is macrothumia. It has the idea of macro, you know, big picture, big or long, and then it's suffering. It has to do with patience over time. And sometimes in our suffering, we are waiting upon God. We're just moving through it over time. And we need to develop our muscles of patience. The psalmist cried out in Psalm 13, 1 and 2, Oh, Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? Has anybody prayed like that recently? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Habakkuk 1-2, the same cry. How long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. Violence is everywhere. I cry, but you do not come to save. How long will we endure this, Lord? And I think James tells us how to develop and strengthen our patience over time, our patience muscles, if you will. Let's look at verses 7 through 10 of James 5. He begins with the command, be patient. And again, it's that word, the idea of be long-suffering, be able to endure, be patient over time. Then, be patient then, brothers and sisters. Four times he's going to talk to his audience as his brothers and sisters in what we're going to see today. This is coming from James own heart. Brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming, see how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. Verse 8, you too be patient like the farmer and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. There it is again, the Lord's coming is near. Verse 9, don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Jesus is coming soon. Verse 10, brothers and sisters, as an example of patience, there's that word patience again, in the face of suffering, take the prophets, he's speaking of the Old Testament prophets, again, these folks, many of the folks in his audience have a Jewish background, so they would have known the story of the Old Testament prophets, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. They're an example of patience over time. Now, I, I mentioned there are a couple of things that I think we get from this passage and how to stretch our patience muscles. The first one is found in the very opening phrase of verse 7. We need to anticipate the soon return of Christ and trust God with the timing. A lot of people believe Jesus is coming and they are caught up in trying to figure out the timing. What day, what week, what year? And there's been a lot of effort on that when Jesus said that's not ours to know. But one thing we do know from what James says here, what Paul says, Peter says, the, the, the heartbeat of what Jesus says is that the coming of Jesus Christ is imminent. There is nothing in God's timeline that has to happen before Jesus returns for his followers and eventually establishes and makes all things right in his eternal kingdom. And everything is brought to a conclusion and judgment happens and justice is established. But we need to anticipate the soon return of Christ and just trust God with the timing. Keep your eyes ready. We need to live with the hope and anticipation that this could be the very day that Christ returns. 
in the midst of our suffering and the length of our suffering. This gives us hope to keep our eyes on the hope of the horizon that is the second coming of Jesus Christ. He says in verse 7, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. Verse 8, The Lord's coming is near. Verse 9, The judge is standing at the door. Do you sense the, the soon return that James is talking about? Can I encourage you this week, maybe find something in your morning routine. Maybe it's when you're brushing your teeth or you're getting in the car to, to go somewhere in the morning or uh, some other part of your regular routine throughout the week. When you do that specific act in your routine, just look up and say, perhaps today my Savior will come for me. Perhaps today. And allow God to stretch your, your patience over time as you anticipate the return of Jesus. Secondly, do what is in your control and trust God with what isn't. When I deal with folks who are just frustrated and overwhelmed in life, often it's because they're trying to control what they can't control, other people or, or God himself, and we have to trust God that he is sovereign. We have to trust that God knows all and is overseeing all. And so we have to do what we can do. And there are things that only we can do, and then there are things that only God can do. Now, this isn't easy. Like I said, this is where a lot of us get frustrated. We want to control all the details of everybody around us and all the events of life. But notice the example, the last part of verse 7. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains? He's waiting for that seed to grow, for the plant to grow, for the, the grain head to grow on the plant. He's waiting for the fall. They would plant in the fall, and so the fall rains would soften the soil so they could plant the seed. Then the spring rain would come that would continue the, the growth of the plant and lead to eventually the harvest of the grain. And I don't know if you've ever gardened, but uh, my dad had a garden when I was a kid, and I thought that was pretty cool. So around the age of 10, I... I asked my dad if I could have a little garden or part of his garden. He wouldn't give up his garden, so he, he gave me this little patch behind the shed to grow whatever I wanted to grow. And I got the soil all tilled, and I got the, uh, got the seed planted. It was all really good. And I remember that day that I felt just I accomplished so much with the seed in the ground and everything. Went to bed that night, got up the next morning, and as a 10-year-old, I ran out there, and I just stared at all that dirt because I was ready. <laughs> it, hopefully something's happened. Sometimes we don't even see what God is doing, the things that are out of our control. But we have to trust God with what isn't in our control. That's not easy for us. But we have to learn from the farmer. The farmer understands their rhythms and their seasons to what he does. And part of it, he has control over what he does in the planting, the sowing, the, the harvesting, and all those different things but he knows there's part of it he doesn't control. You do what is in your control and trust God with what isn't. That helps you develop patience over time. Thirdly, you can grow and stretch your patience muscles when you remain unmovable in your convictions and trust God with the outcome. You remain unmovable in your convictions and trust God with the outcome. Sometimes we're exhausted and we're worn out uh, when we're living in the length of our suffering because we don't know what is important and so we prioritize everything and we get worn out and weary. And what James tells us here in verse eight is this, you too, like the farmer, be patient and stand firm. In the original Greek, that, that term stand firm literally reads, stand in your hearts. 
It's an idiom that was used. Stand in your hearts. Have conviction. Know what is important and focus on those things. We have to major on the important things and minor on the unimportant things or else we can get weary. Remain unmovable in your convictions. Hold fast to them. And recognize you don't even control the outcome of those things. You have to trust God with the outcome. Fourthly, if you want to stretch your patience muscles, stop tearing others down and trust God to use you to build others up. Stop tearing others down and trust God to use you to build others up. Look at verse 9. Don't grumble against one another's brothers and sisters or you will be judged. And by the way, the judge is standing at the door. Now that don't grumble... The way in which that's written in the original has the idea that this action has already been going on. It's continuing action that needs to stop. And, and so it could be translated, stop grumbling against each other. Stop tearing each other down. Stop being negative and critical, cutting and harsh. When we're called on within the body of Christ to build each other up, I read articles and blogs about pastors and churches that are divided and, and weary and, and after all that we've gone through in this last year and the various opinions on the various things that have emerged, there's been great division in families. We've got uh, generations of families split over politics or race or, or COVID and how to handle it or how not to handle it. And many people have said things that have just hurt one another Broken relationships that had been unbroken for so long caused strains in marriages and homes and businesses and churches. This is what James has in mind. You see, when we get impatient with the circumstances of our lives, the things that we're dealing with in real time in our culture, we get with, impatient with things and with God, then we get impatient with other people. We start saying things online, harsher, a little more mean. Then they say something back, so we say a little harsher. And then a rift comes, and then we just keep piling on. And that's this idea of what he's saying here is stop doing that. We just sang that we're to be like Christ. This was not the spirit of Christ. Even with important issues, even with those unmovable convictions, we have to be careful that when we lose our patience with our circumstances that we don't control, that we don't lose our patience with other people. Colossians 3, 12 to 15 gives us the kind of spirit we're to have as the followers of Jesus within the church. And it should spill over and be an example of Christ in the community and the world around us, whether it's in person or online. Look at the words of Colossians 3.12 from the New Living Translation. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, since God loved you, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Do these words describe your communication with your children and grandchildren? Do these words describe your communication with your neighbors, your brothers and sisters, your coworkers? Do these words describe what you've been posting online, what you've been saying in the comments? Go on to, let's go on to verse 13. Make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. It doesn't say, forgive anyone who offends you when they ask. Make allowances for others' faults when they confess those faults. No, it says we're to show each other grace. We're to extend space to one another so that we can say something and we don't just all pounce on it. 
and criticize and tear down. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Maybe there's somebody you need to go to and say, forgive me for what I posted six months ago. Forgive me what I said when we got in that debate and we got heated and I said some things that shouldn't have gone that far. Forgive me. Look at verse 14. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Speaking of the body of Christ. And maybe you've had disagreements in your small group. Maybe you've had disagreements with somebody you've regularly prayed for and, and you've gotten impatient with others. Remember, it's love that binds us together. Verse 15 then talks about the peace we experience. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. We need to stop tearing others down and trust God to use us to build others up. Someone has put it this way, patience is not the ability to wait, but the ability to keep a good attitude while waiting. Well, that's a challenge, isn't it? Maybe you need to go and apologize to someone. Maybe the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about a comment you made on somebody's post or something you said that did some pretty good damage. You need to ask their forgiveness. One way to stretch our patience in terms of the long haul in terms of being long-suffering, is to stop tearing others down and build others up in turn. It will bring you peace in your life, peace from God. Fifth and finally, we need to call out immorality and injustice and trust God to be the ultimate judge. Since Adam and Eve sinned, this world has been broken and it won't be completely corrected until Jesus returns and judges, judges the living and the dead and sets all things right. Since Adam and Eve sinned, our world and humanity has been cursed with immorality and injustice. And our God is a God of morality and justice, so we've got to call out where there's immorality and injustice that doesn't measure up to the character of who God is. As followers of Jesus Christ, when we live out Christ-like values, we, we extend his kingdom that comes from heaven to earth through us as we live in this world. And we need to be people who live out morality and live out justice and we call out immorality and we call out injustice. But we also have to understand that while we do what we can do here in this world to make things right as we extend his kingdom and show his grace and hope and mercy to others, the ultimate fix is coming when Jesus comes. Sometimes we want immediate punishment on people through social media and their ability to see things that are happening in real time all around the world. We want quick and swift justice and we want vengeance now. And as the followers of Christ, we've forgotten that ultimately, even those who seem to escape justice here on earth will be held accountable to God and he will be their judge. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. You see, in verse 10, it says, Brothers and sisters, an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets. The prophets called out immorality and justice, and the Old Testament prophets, as they did that to the kings of Israel, often the kings of Israel would laugh, have them killed. Jeremiah was called a traitor to his people, and he was thrown in a cold, dark pit. And he stayed there for some time. And he had to suffer. But he knew that what he had done was right, and that God would all ultimately be the judge even if they didn't heed his warnings. When you cry out, how long, O oh Lord, and you struggle with the length of your suffering, you need to develop patience over time, the ability to wait on the Lord 
You do that by anticipating the soon return of Christ, doing what is in your control, remaining unmovable in your convictions. You stop tearing others down, you build them up, and you call out immorality and injustice, but ultimately know that some will escape justice here on earth, but they will not escape justice in heaven. How are you holding up over time? How are you doing? When I think of someone who has suffered over time, I think of our friend Johnny Erickson Tata. Of course, she and her husband, Ken Tata, have a heart for ministering to folks who deal with special needs. She leads the Johnny and Friends ministry. There are many who are part of our church family that are part of that ministry right here in Agora Hills. And um, they make a difference around the world and help churches like Calvary minister to families and individuals affected by disability. And Johnny has been a quadriplegic for almost 55 years. Next year, it'll be 55 years since her accident in 1967 in Maryland at age 17 when she dove into a lake and broke her neck. She's been in that chair for almost 55 years. I'm sure there have been many times where Johnny's cried out, how long, oh Lord, how long? But she's made some statements and there are three statements that stand out to me that she's made that just have been encouragement to me when it comes to developing patience and it follows the very principles we've just seen. One is, she says, God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. Sometimes we go through suffering and hardship because it accomplishes something much greater than that which was the process in getting us there. God often allows what he hates to accomplishes what he loves. The second thing she's talked about is that she would much rather be in her wheelchair as a quadriplegic and travel life with God than be out of her wheelchair, be able to walk and run and travel life without God. That's quite a statement for someone who's had to suffer a long time. And then finally, as she's battled cancer twice in the last 10 years, I've heard colleagues and friends close to her and have heard her say that when it comes to the breast cancer that she's had to battle and go through treatments, when she first heard about the first time she was diagnosed with cancer, she made this comment, look how God has used my being a quadriplegic in this wheelchair for decades to reach many for Christ and show his love to others. I can't wait to see how he's gonna use my cancer to do the same. Now that's being long-suffering, right? How long, oh Lord? Maybe some of you say, well, pastor, it's not how long for me, it's how much. It's like one thing after another, Jesus keeps piling on. So some of you, the cry may not be how long, oh Lord, it's how much, oh Lord? How much more can I take? The weight of this is too heavy. The hurdle is too high. The obstacle is too large. And so we ask the question, how much, oh Lord? We deal with the depth of suffering. We're dealing with perseverance under pressure, not patience over time. Instead of waiting, we're focusing on the withstanding. How do we withstand the suffering and the pain of this life until it is gone and we are with Jesus? The psalmist cried out in Psalm 142, verses one and two, I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out before him my complaint, before him I tell my trouble. I've got trouble after trouble after trouble. I cry out to you, Lord. We move from the focus on developing our muscles of patience over time to perseverance under pressure. The word perseverance 
in the dictionary means a steady persistence in a course of action in spite of difficulties or obstacles. It's just you get up the next day, no matter how heavy it's gotten, no matter what else gets piled on, and you keep getting up and you keep doing what God has called you to do. Persistence is important to perseverance. Jim Watkins says, a river cuts through rock, not because of its power, but because of its persistence. Perseverance. I mentioned that four times in the verses we just looked at, he uses the word patience, macrothumia, long-suffering, long pain over time. Now he switches, and twice in verse 11, he uses a word that's translated perseverance. In the Greek, it's hupomene, and hupomene means remain under. It means you're under the weight and the burden and the pressure, and so the focus of this word is that we keep moving forward even though we're under this pressure. Look at what we read in verse 11 of James 5. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered, those who have remained under and, and endured. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. This is the Old Testament character, Job. We've all heard maybe someone reference the patience of Job. The perseverance of Job is what the New Testament says. This is the only time in the New Testament the Old Testament character Job is mentioned. He's a significant character in Scripture. In the Old Testament, there's a book about Job's experience of suffering. It's 42 chapters long. In the first two chapters, Satan says to God, oh, you know, Job is faithful to you only because you bless him. You've given him wealth and a wonderful family. You take that away and he will curse you and be unfaithful to you. God says, okay, you test him. He lost his family. He lost his wealth. He's suffering, but he still worships and blesses God. And Satan says, yeah, but you didn't let me touch him. You let me bring pain to his body and he will curse you and be unfaithful to you. And so God says, okay, you can test him. And Job gets covered in boils to the place that he has them from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. And he's scraping them with a, a pot shard to just try to, to relieve the pain that he has. And he has three friends show up. A fourth one shows up eventually. But three friends show up and for seven days they sit with him in silence in his pain, which is the best thing they ever did. <laughs> And you read about that at the end of chapter 2 of Job. Then from chapter 3 through chapter 37, these three friends in Job have this dialogue back and forth. The three friends keep saying, Job, there's some secret sin you're not admitting to us. That's why. Because you've sinned, you now suffer. And a lot of people try to link every piece of suffering or hardship to sin. And what we learn from the journey of Job is that sometimes it's testing that God allows to mold us and make us and to make us shine and to show our strength of our character and our faith, even to Satan himself. So how do we stretch our perseverance muscles to remain under the weight? How much, O oh Lord? How do we stretch these muscles? Are there three things from the story of Job that stand out? Number one, accept that good works, God works in ways that you wouldn't. Accept that God works in ways that you wouldn't. As Job and his friends are discussing, they're saying, no, if there was really a God, he wouldn't do this, he wouldn't do that. And Job at times just says, I don't know. I see what you're saying, but I know my Redeemer lives. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Sometimes we, we, we say, that couldn't be God because that's not the way I would work. Isaiah 55 says, that God says to us, my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts, says the Lord. 
So we have to accept that God works in ways that we wouldn't choose to work. But he is God, and we're not. Secondly, we need to believe that God is working for your good. you got to believe that God is working for your good. If you're going to stretch your perseverance muscles, you got to say, he's doing something good in this. Ultimately, at the end of the story, God condemns Job's friends for their accusations and their attack. He commends Job for his faith, even in the midst of his questions. And then Job is given even more wealth, and he is an even blessed and, and more faithful man of God. But throughout all, Job is looking for what good is God trying to do in this? We need to understand that God is working for our good. Romans 8, 28 says, all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. A lot of people stop there. Oh yeah, everything's gonna be good. Everything's gonna be good. But we forget verse 29 says, what is the good that he's doing? He's conforming us to the image of his son. We just sang about that. So he uses the good, bad, and the ugly of my life. He uses the good, bad, and the ugly of your life to mold me, to mold you, to make you more like Jesus so that you can live and love like Jesus in this world. God is working for good. Sometimes we just look at it and say, that's a bad thing. But we understand the purpose of God is good. That changes everything. Charles Spurgeon, when he talked about this, the great 19th century preacher in London, he said that if a man approaches you with a knife in a dark alley in the middle of the night and he's coming toward you, you have a right to be afraid because you understand his purposes are not good, right? But put the knife in the hand of a surgeon who is skilled and trained and as he approaches you with a knife, his purposes are good. It's a big difference. And sometimes our God uses a scalpel. For me, sometimes it feels like he's using a sledgehammer to mold us and to shape us, but we have to believe that he's working for our good. Thirdly, you've got to understand that God knows your breaking point. He, God holds Satan back in the first two chapters. He keeps saying, okay, you can do this, but you can't do this. You can do this, but you can't do this because he knows Job's breaking point and he's not gonna let Job go there. He'll take us to where we're bending, <laughs> but he won't let you be broken as you walk with him and trust him. First Corinthians 10, 13 says that when we're in pressurized situations that we don't think we can handle, we have to understand other people have gone through this and we have to step back and recognize that God may bend us, but he won't break us. The verse says that God only allows us to go through stuff so far, and then he provides a way of escape. That's why we need to lean into him, not back from him when we're suffering, because he knows the way of escape. Understand that God knows your breaking point, and he'll bend you, but he won't break you. Maybe you need to go to 1 Corinthians 10, 13, just even read that aloud this week to the Lord yourself. And then we read in verse 11, the second part of it, the Lord, or the last part of it, the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. The conclusion <clears throat> that James has to the story of Job is that the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Psalm 103.8, the psalmist in his crying out to the Lord says, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. The greatest love is that Christ died for us while we were still sinners he died for us on the cross, was buried and was raised from the dead. And the great love message from God is that when we put our faith in Jesus, God forgives us. He gives us a permanent relationship with himself and he walks with us through the ups and downs of life until we're safely home with him. If you haven't put your faith in Jesus, ah, oh, do so today. Maybe you've done that recently. Maybe you have questions about it. Maybe today's the day you put your faith in Christ. 
you can, if you're in the room, you can come down front. There'll be a care team member down front to help you after the service, pray with you, celebrate with you if today's the day you come to Jesus. If you're in the room or, or you're online, you can text the name Jesus to the number that's below me on the screen and we'll follow up with you and encourage you in your new walk with Jesus and what it means to even walk through suffering with Jesus. Maybe you say, okay, I know I've done that and, and I'm saying to the Lord, how much, oh Lord, how do I develop that perseverance? Sometimes you just stop and you say, the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Maybe this week you need to say, perhaps today, and then say, and whatever I go through, I need to remember and know the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Fifth and finally, if you want to stretch your perseverance muscles, finally in verse 12, remember that God calls you to live with integrity. I mentioned to you that those who he's writing to are scattered throughout the Roman Empire, and many of them had a Jewish background, and persecution is coming upon them throughout the empire, and so it's good to kind of hydrate in it as a Christian. And there was a way in that culture in that day that you could not swear or cuss, but you could, you could take an oath. You would, you would tell someone, they might ask you directly, are you a Christian? And for fear of persecution, they might respond, and they'd say, no, I'm not a Christian. I, I swear on that tree over there or the star over there or this that I'm not a Christian. And when you did that other thing, that meant if you weren't telling the truth, you were safe. Do you remember as a kid, you'd cross your fingers, put them behind your back, tell your friend, answer a question, but with crossed fingers, when they find out later you were lying, you go, oh, I had my fingers crossed. Doesn't count. That's what they were doing. So then when you read verse 12 of James 5, it says, above all, my brothers and sisters. Why above all? Because he's dealing with integrity. Above all, brothers and sisters, do not swear. Don't make one of those oaths, not by heaven or earth or anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no, otherwise you will be condemned. You'll be judged. He's saying, I know that you're under persecution. I know life is overwhelming. And when you're questioned about your faith, make your question the answer, yes. Don't say no and then swear by something. Don't cross your fingers behind your back. Be honest and open. Maintain your integrity as you seek to live and love like Jesus in this world. He says this is so important because the world needs to see people of true integrity. True integrity who even suffer in the brokenness just like those who don't know Jesus. So how are you holding up under pressure? How are you holding up under pressure? Are you persevering? To develop those, those perseverance muscles as you cry out, how much, O oh Lord, you gotta accept that God works in ways you wouldn't. You gotta believe that God is working for your good, molding you and shaping you and making you more like Jesus. You gotta understand what God know, that God knows your breaking point and won't let you go there. You gotta know that God is full of compassion and mercy even when it doesn't feel like it or look like it. Then you gotta remember, in all things, you got to live with integrity as a follower of Jesus. How are you holding up under pressure? You see, patience over time, macrothumia, plus perseverance under pressure, under pressure, which is hupomene. Patience over time, perseverance under pressure equals endurance. Endurance. Do you have peace today and hope for tomorrow? When life seems unbearable, God offers you as his child peace today and hope for tomorrow as you endure suffering, as we endure suffering. Maybe you've been saying, how long, oh Lord? 
How long is this going to last? Maybe for you it's been, how much more can I take? How much, oh Lord? We need patience over time and perseverance under pressure. In 1801, President Thomas Jefferson became the third president of the United States. At that time, all of the people in the United States lived 50 miles from the Atlantic Ocean. In 1803, the Louisiana Purchase expanded the middle of the United States to be a part of that great country that was expanding, but they didn't know it was out there. For 300 years, Europeans believed that if you kept going west on the New World continent, especially in what is now the United States, that you would find this great northwest passage. You'd kind of go upstream in rivers, and then you'd kind of reach this bluff, and all of a sudden the rivers would all go down into the Pacific Ocean. So there was this great passage they were looking for. So Jefferson sent his personal secretary, Meriwether Lewis, and then Lewis recruited William Clark, and uh, Lewis and Clark went on an expedition with a couple dozen men to find the Great Northwest Passage. They left St. Louis in May of 1804. They wouldn't return there till uh, September of 1806. They thought the trip might take several months, and they had some Indian guides as they made the journey. And they went up the rivers, and they got to the place where they thought the bluff was, that now they were at the crest of the middle of the continental divide, and now they'd find rivers that would just wash them back to the Pacific. So as they get up on this bluff and they looked out, they saw the Rocky Mountains, and nobody knew they existed. No European. And so it wasn't just going to be a glide down the other side. They brought canoes with them. I've been reading a leadership book that I really enjoy called Canoeing the Mountains. What they did when... They had to go off the map. They had to vote, and they voted to go forward, even though there was that huge obstacle. And it took patience over time and perseverance under pressure for them to be able to get over those mountains and in October of 1805 arrive on the, at the Pacific Ocean. Their trip back was a little quicker because they now knew there were mountains in the way. You know, we don't know what's coming tomorrow. We don't know what's on the horizon and I don't know how long you've been suffering or how much has been piled on you. You need to lean into the Lord. Allow him to develop your patience over time and your perseverance under pressure so that you can experience his peace today and his hope for tomorrow, even as you endure suffering. Lord, help us to even say, perhaps today, today's the day my Savior will come for me. Help us to know that no matter what goes on, you are a God full of compassion and mercy. Lord, I pray for each one who feels like it's been a long time of suffering. May you help them to develop that ability to wait, to be patient. I pray for those who maybe don't feel like it's been so long, but it's just been piling on, piling on. Maybe this last year has just been a piling on and a piling on. May they find your peace and hope as you develop perseverance under pressure for them. And Lord, you do this in us and you use the hardships to make us more like Jesus and so we can spread your kingdom and we can show others your love. And I pray that you would help us as your children to take seriously your call to live and love like Jesus even in the midst of suffering so that others might see Christ in us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.